Bear, bear, bear. Gently bear, bear, bear. Thanks for listening to Grand Craft Beer, Ben's premier beer podcast, exploring everything beer in Central Oregon, with your host, who's a Cicerone and the author of Oregon Breweries, Brian Yeager. Hello and welcome to Grand Craft Beer. This is Brian Yeager, and today I'm super excited to be joined by Mark and Dana Henyon, the Henyon half of Van Henyon Brewing Company. Uh, unfortunately, John Van Duzer is not with us today, but uh, welcome, guys. Hello. Hello. All right. Um, there is so much excitement about, you know, as a, a fan and observer of the Bend Brewing scene about what you guys are doing because we have had so many different craft breweries, but I love that we are in an era where you could specialize, right, where you could focus. So um, maybe... If I could ask you guys to start about your beginnings in the brewing industry before you became a lager-centric brewery, and then we'll talk about how you guys really got to, uh, you know, start a a very largely lager-centric craft brewery here in Central Oregon. Sure. Um, I started out... Uh, Beer tending at the Beer Stein and home brewing, so just kind of a passion for beer. Beer Stein and Eugene, yeah, awesome. And Eugene, um, and that kind of grew into wanting to work in the production side of things. So I started working at Oakshire um, in about 2009, um, brewing, and I went to school back then for brewing at Davis, and then I moved on to Ninkasi in Eugene, where I met Mark, my husband, and then we moved on to Boneyard. And we've been working there or together um, until we started Van Hanyan in two, 2021. Take it away, Mark. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I started in 1994. Uh, I started washing kegs at the Shoots Brewery at the very bottom of the rungs <laughs> and then kind of working my, th- my way through the, the steps. And uh, I was there for about nine years. And then... Took a year off, went to Cascade Lakes for about six years, and then from there I moved to Nicasi. As Dana said, we met and worked together for a while, and put her back to Bend to uh, work with our friend friend Tony from Boneyard. Um, and with Boneyard uh, to shoot merger, that kind of made the facility available for us to kind of take over and start our own thing. And now I definitely want to dive into that Deschutes merger with Boneyard, or maybe more accurately, Mer- Boneyard's merger with Deschutes. But before that, you know, I, I, I think one of the most fun aspects of the brewing industry is how, I don't know, for lack of a better word, incestuous it is, mm-hmm. right? People move around from one brewery to another and maybe they get their start at a brewery and then they launch their own uh and i think that's one of the really cool aspects about boneyard brewing is how much tony lawrence had this sort of overlap with with various breweries obviously he got his start at deschutes along with you mark um but then, you know, thinking about the name of that brewery and the equipment, right? Like, could you give us a quick rundown of where the different parts and parcels of that Boneyard system came from and how they overlapped with Tony's uh, career 
arc, as it were? I don't know all the details completely. Sure. <laughs> but um, I do know I've known Tony for a long time. He's a good friend. And uh, he basically, in between Firestone Walker and Three Floyds and all the other places, he kind of bounced around at, did some consulting. And even then, like, let's just not ignore, like, Firestone Walker in California. Yep. Three Floyds in Indiana. Yep. yep. Rio Salado in Arizona. Exactly. Uh, and uh, he started his own consulting business. The shoots business. here in Bend, Oregon. Yep. He started his own consulting business, and he was basically, like, helping people with packaging lines, whatever, fermentation, anything. And he was kind of working all over the place. And from my understanding, he basically would negotiate often, like, what's going on with that tank out back like you're not using <laughs> it um how would i give you x amount of hours for that tank and trying to start my own thing and and then uh he you know that's kind of how boneyard evolved because he robbed scraps from a bunch of different breweries to make his brewery which was you know he, he basically pulled from their boneyards to make his boneyard so. and one of my personal favorite pieces of equipment that you guys have uh, talking about different really early in the game and really pioneering crafters, dare we say microbreweries. Uh, you guys have some some hardware from Burt Grants, a.k.a. Yakima Craft Brewing up in Yakima, Washington. We do, yeah. Our brew house is his original production brewery, and we still have the kettle sitting at the brewery that's... Uh, 40 barrel all copper direct fire kettle which is pretty unusual especially today but back then it was still um so yeah it's a pretty pretty old old equipment that we're making do with and it's you know getting us by doing the job so excellent maybe talk about the creation of van henyan brewing it's not a a made-up name there's a van there's a henyan there's a brewing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, when we first started, we're struggling to come up with a name because it seems like everything's taken. And eventually we just decided to throw our names together, John Van Duzer, Dana, and Mark Henyon. And we just came up with Van Henyon. And uh, people seemed to like it, so we just went with that because we had to get going. And um, you know, a lot of what got us where we are is just having that facility available to us. And it's... The amount of capacity is what kind of gave us the ability to do the loggers that we do. I mean, I might be jumping ahead, but... Um, well, know. certainly, I, I think this is a, such an interesting element of Van Henyer Brewing. The facility that you guys came into, is that is that an acceptable verb, right? Yeah. It was referred to as Brew 2 from Boneyard. Obviously, the original Brew 1 was on Lake place which still exists but then again let's not overlook the fact that rpm became this huge juggernaut and it necessitated an additional brewing facility and in the era of of the pandemic of the covid pandemic and the shutdown and you know the whole i think it's such an interesting story about how the craft beer industry overnight was forced to shift from draft therefore on-premise sales to packaged canned off-premise sales 
And that is where the, are we using the word sale? Are we using the partnership? What, what, whatever the verb is, where Boneyard then becomes part and parcel of Deschutes. And Tony says, as I understand it, to you, Mark, to you, Dana, and to John Van Duzer, who's not in the studio, hey, this company that you guys work for is now part of Deschutes. What led to the three of you, three brewers, getting to launch your own brewery? And what was the three of yours discussion? And, and, and how did that lead to being uh, a logger forward, a logger centric brewing company? Um, I guess as far as the three of us, you know, I, I've been working with John on and off for almost 30 years now. Um, he started three months after me at Deschutes in 90, 1994, and we've been friends ever since. And uh, it just kind of like naturally formed. And in the, over the years, we've worked at multiple places together. And, uh, you know, it just kind of made sense with all our specialties and what areas we, we do do best at to you know kind of combine our forces and you know Dana and I being married that was an obvious no brainer <laughs> um and then yeah we we partnered up with John and kind of all went in 33% and and uh um, I guess the biggest thing that that really sparked it was you know having this facility just come available and get first dibs on it you know it was it's a big facility um, we were doing over 30,000 barrels a year as Boneyard there. And, you know, for example, last year we did 2,600 barrels. So there's a lot <laughs> there's a lot going on with trying to, like, make ends meet. But um, that also gave us the opportunity with the amount of capacity and tanks we had to be able to do these loggers and do them proper and give them, you know, 10, 12, sometimes 16 weeks of loggering and, and just make the best beer that we can. I think that coming up with our business model or our brewing model with, with loggers was also a no-brainer. It was simply the beers that we like to drink or the, uh, is what formed uh, our company. Like, we just knew that we were going to make loggers. And we'd already, Mark and I had talked about it long before this opportunity um, presented itself that if we were to have a brewery, it would be logger-focused. Um, and then living in the Northwest, clearly, uh, we need IPAs because that's a thing. So, but yeah, so, and we love IPAs, but not probably not as much as you know a nice pilsner or Hellas or something. But. Uh, I mean, the fact of the matter is, I do agree. Um, I I love drinking IPAs, but the the beer industry is certainly the craft side of the industry. The you know the small independent side of the industry is so IPA centric that I personally feel like. When I'm out and I'm ordering a beer, I like to order non-IPAs just to let those bartenders and those bar owners know, hey, even though we are the hoppy, hoppy Northwest, you kind of have to have other styles. And as someone who really pays attention to the industry, man, we've been talking about the lager revolution for years and years long before it kind of arrived. Mm-hmm. Uh, but am I wrong in saying that we we have arrived, that we are a 
uh, an industry that really realizes and and caters to lager lovers and drinkers and you know like your your sales must reflect that element that finally yeah i think it's happening across you know in other states across the industry across craft beer um i think that our best selling beer might still be our ipa though yeah so hell's <laughs> <laughs> is a close second but i feel like i, I mean i've been saying this for over 20 years that it's lager's time but uh Right, exactly. I, We've been saying yeah. it for so long. I, when is it loggers time? And I, I think we're here. My theory is that I really feel that the pandemic helped loggers time come along. Why is that? Now, first, let's take one quick setback uh, for the for the listener. I mean, for all intents and purposes, the only distinction between beers that are classified as loggers or beers that are classified as ales would be the yeast strain. And uh, an ale yeast would be referred to as top fermenting or warm fermenting. A lager yeast strain is going to be defined as bottom fermenting or cold fermenting. So why? Why should the beer drinker look towards lagers instead of ales? Not all the time, but some of the time or, you know, a, a good chunk of the time. I mean, it's, it's why do you all, love them? It's obviously all preference. Uh, of course, so subjective. Preference, you know, in, individual preference. But um, I just feel lagers are a beer that you can have multiple of instead of having like a high alcohol hoppy IPA. Um, so it's kind of more of a session style beer. Lagers are kind of a little crisper, a little drier. Um, you know, the thing like all beers have their different. Um, characters, but like in a lager, a light lager, like a Helles or a Pilsner, Kolsch, you know, anything, any flaws are going to show themselves. So if the beer's like crisp, clean, and, and quality, people people recognize it and understand, you know, notice it. If, if you have like a uh, really hoppy, hoppy beer or a, a big stout or something like that, you know, flavors can be covered, you know, like you can kind of... Mask defects. Yeah. And, uh, and so, as far as, I mean, I don't know. I, I like to drink lagers, and I think a lot of people, a lot of our customers do. They come in, and they're just, they're happy to have a place that just has, you know, they can go get a nice clean lager. I don't know but no, this is my first episode of Grand Craft Beer, the podcast, where I really get to have this discussion, and I really want to have it with you two. Yes, most lagers fit into that sort of easy narrative of they're drier, they're crisper, they're cleaner, they're lighter, they're lower alcohol than your average ale. But at the same time, you have some really English-style pub ales that are in what Americans refer to as sessionability. They're low ABV. You know, this could be a 40-shilling Scottish. This could be a uh, a mild or a, 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 a bitter ale. And at the same time, the lager world has box, doppelbox, icebox, Baltic porters. I don't want to be so, uh, you know, re, re, re paint with such a broad paintbrush that all lagers are in the same mm-hmm. realm. Sure. Yeah. Uh, not to say that Van Henien has brewed an icebox yet. Or a Doppelbach or, uh, you know, a really strong barrel-aged Baltic porter. But 
you know, we're, let, let's sort of not over confuse what the lager kingdom has to offer versus the ale kingdom within the beer realm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and thinking about the lagers that you guys are brewing, again, you have the Hellas, pitch perfect. You have the Pilsner, one of the very best Oregon Pilsners, in my opinion. I'm not a, a afraid or ashamed to say that. You also have the Schwarzbier. I think, Dana, you know that I'm a huge yeah. fan of the Schwarzbier. And, you know, I think maybe a Schwarzbier scares some casual beer drinkers off because it is dark. And so they associate it with richer, maltier, heavier stouts and porters. But let's sort of talk about why that is not the case, why they should not be afraid of a black beer as a light beer that... You know, what, what does body and SRM have in common? What do they not have in common? What do they tell the end consumer about the beer that they're going to be drinking? Yeah, I think especially in this day and age of pastry stouts, it's even easier to confuse uh, or to conflate, you know, SRM with with body and gravity and all that. Um, yeah, Schwartz beer is as light a body to beer as... I mean, not as, but close um, to other, you know, lighter styles, um, and that's why they're they're refreshing. I mean, they're easy to drink; they don't bog you down. I think ours is only 4.9 percent, so we got that low ABV, so it can be another crisp, refreshing beer, just like you know the Pilsner. Um, but then you get that great flavor; you get you know those nice malt flavors that, you know, make it a more complex drink. You know, I think that lagers tend to. I think one reason we like them is they are kind of low in flavor they're not like overwhelming you you know i like a nice smoked beer but you can't have too many of them so you know you can have a nice light lager or what you know i i respectfully disagree as I the guy who I, puts I, on <laughs> that was probably the worst example to use with you yeah i love i love smoked beer but as, as the guy who puts on different smokes uh smoke <laughs> beer festival yeah. i am Dying for you guys to get into the Rauch beer oh, we realm. Can't wait either that and, <laughs> and a Dunkelweiss, you know, and a Dunkelweiss, yeah. and One that's not days. even a lager. It's not, no. yeah. yeah. We, you know, German styles. We love. So, them. so let's talk about this. Yeah. Again, you know, it, it's one thing for people who know everything and everything there is to know about beer, and maybe you've read, you know, that Garrett Oliver's. Uh, uh, can't even remember the name of it, but the 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 beer tome that he edited. And you have people like Jeff Allworth who have the beer Bible, right? You have all these great overviews of what beers are. But I think one of the things that I, I again, in my opinion, in my estimation, in my my you know looking at at the central oregon and the pan oregon and the pan craft beer industry that you guys do so well is you really make these very approachable easily drinking beers beers that are designed to be drank more than one can or pint at a time but let's not confuse the fact that there are different styles and that there's no catch-all. There's no one-size-fits-all. So when it comes to Germanic styles, which is, you know, a lot of people sort of think, oh, well, if it's a German style, it must be a lager. But then you're talking about a Dunkelweizen, mm-hmm. right? And and there, I, I could probably name 10 different German styles of beer that are not 
loggers. Yeah, and a kolsch we have, you know. And a kolsch, exactly. Kolsch is really uh, ale's version of a light, pale lager, Mm -hmm. except it's brewed with an ale yeast Mm -hmm. strain. So is Van Henyen a lager-centric brewery, or is it a Germanic beer-style-centric brewery? I would say it's German-style, but very lager-focused. Like German mm-hmm. styles are definitely we we have a list of all the German styles, and I've been ticking them off, like you know which ones we've we've done and which ones we haven't. Um, we have to, with our the capacity brew house that we have, we can't just go make fun one offs like a Dunkelweiss right now. But we're hoping to get to the level where we can brew that style, and you know most um, German style beers we'd love to tackle in the future. Um, so yeah, I I would say it's it's fair to say that's our. That's our love. That's our passion. But lagers, I think, are like the within that our favorite or something to that. Because as traditional as Van Henyen is, like, you know, you have a Pilsner. It's a true German Pilsner. You have a Helles. It's a true Munich style Helles. You have mm-hmm. a uh, uh, a beer. Easily. And again, just for whatever it's worth, my personal favorite Black lager. Schwartz beer just means black beer. Um, do you guys have any interest in brewing a Berliner Weiss, a Lichtenhainer, a, I don't know, a, again, a, a, a Maybach, which seems like it would fit into your realm, um, a, a, an alt beer, you know, Dusseldorf style alt beer. Are these things that you are, you have talked about? Or, eh, we're, we're really going to focus on German-style lagers. Uh, we've talked about it. We're open to doing anything really German-style. Uh, like Dan had said, the capacity is, you know, 50-barrel brews, one batch. So we're looking at 650 cases or 110-plus kegs. So it's kind of hard to, you know, just do a lot of one-offs. But we do like kind of focusing on one-offs, and you know we did our fest beer last year for Oktoberfest, and that seemed to do pretty well. And if we we find if we get it out in the market and get to enough accounts, we can move through a fifty barrel batch and not have be sitting on beer, you know, down the road. So, yeah, I'd like to do a lot of different beer. I'd like to do a vice beer, you know. Like, yeah, that'd be awesome. But um, it's just a matter of we got to find the avenues, and right now we don't have that large enough footprint in order to sell a lot of beer and the time deserved, you know, like we don't want to have a hundred kegs and like, they'll take one, they'll take three, you know, <laughs> and then like you're sitting on 50 or 80, you know? So, um, I don't know. I think we've talked about my Bach, but we're doing a, we're, br- we're brewing a Leisch beer on Monday. What is a Leisch beer? Leisch beer is, <laughs> I've, I've learned all this recently, so it's not, this is not like a style I've been aware of, but it means light, it's light beer in German, so. I thought Helles meant light. It does, it does. but this is light beer like, uh, in a different way, like diet, like, Ooh. that's what it means, like it's, so it's a low ABV uh, beer, um, so it's, I think the parameters for it are 2.4 to 3.6% ABV, we're going to brew 3.6% ABV, um, and yeah, it's it's actually kind of supposed to be like a pilsner in a way in terms of hoppiness. So it's actually going to be a very hot forward lager. Um, and we're working with uh, uh, Tim from Virgil Gamash and uh, Randon from Hollenberry on this beer. So they're going to be providing the hops and they're brewing it with us on Monday. 
And is it L E I C H? L E I S. Oh, S C H maybe. I'd have to. It's. it's I'm not study. trying to put you guys it's on the spot, but yeah, <laughs> I'd have to study. look it up. I, I I'm yeah. super fascinated by that because yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a Leisch beer. Yeah. I know that when I see a low ABV beer, I really get excited about them. I mean, if you could cram a lot of flavor into a low alcoholic beer, and obviously alcohol is flavor, mm-hmm. right? Like every chef will tell you fat is flavor. You don't, Why would you want a low fat food? Why would you want a low ABV beer if you really want a flavorful beer? Uh, but so I'm, I'm really excited. Is this going to be a draft only product? Is it going to be draft and canned is going to be it'll be draft and canned all right yeah so um we have the label worked out it's it's going to be similar to our fest beer so the fest beer is a one-off and so this beer is kind of going to fit within that same style like graphic a graphic yeah so we're kind of we're hoping to kind of have this little one-off series that we can pull off you know um throughout the year since the other beer was brewed in september and now we're into january you know that's probably how much time we need to move through these beers with you know, we can't have a one-off too often or else it's not going to not gonna sell very well. Now, one of the really fun things, again, just, right, I'm an observer. I don't, I don't work at a brewery. But you guys have done some really fun collaborative beers. I think the most recent one would be the, um, the malt liquor mm-hmm. with Immersion Brewing. Yeah. Not a lager. Or it actually, is, is it a lager? Is. Fair enough. Excellent. Sorry. I, as soon as I said that out loud, I realized, wait a minute, that is a lager yeast. People don't think of it, yeah. maybe, yeah. as a lager. Uh, but it is not what we would call session no. No. strength. How did a an American, and again, there's not a whole lot of American styles, right? We've got, I don't know, we've got steam beer. We've got hazy IPAs. We've got malt liquor. Mm-hmm. How did that beer and that collaboration come about? Uh, I think the malt liquor was James's brainchild. And, James at Immersion. Yeah, and we uh, we loved the idea. It was fun. It was just a really fun concept, and we were totally on board. So, yeah, we made a Hellespach with him and with Immersion the previous year. And so a Hellespach is really like the German answer to a malt liquor in a way. It doesn't have adjunct or anything ya. like that, yeah. but it is a high-gravity lager. Um, with, you know, like that malt backbone. So, um, from the alcohol. But, uh, yeah, so when James suggested this, we just thought it'd be a fun kind of follow through or like a next step, I guess, in terms of our last one. Not, not that you needed to mention, you know, rattle all of them off, but you have done a fair amount of collabs. Mm-hmm. What are some of the other collaboration beers that, you, that Van Henyon's done? We did a... Black Pilsner with Fort George. Nice. That was excellent. Uh, we made. How a, does how do you describe the difference between a Black Pilsner and a Schwarzbier? Oh, hoppiness, I'd say it okay. was much higher IBU. Which beer. one? Uh, the the Pilsner. The Pilsner yeah. All right, and a little um, higher alcohol as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, totally different beer, I'd say. All right. Yeah, um, almost like a CDA, like what that Ooh. is to an IPA. I'd say this is to a Pilsner. Nice. So just kind of stained it, you know. And we did so. the Baltic Porter with Brothers Cascadia. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and we did a ro- a Roggenweiss. Yeah. 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 With um, uh, migration. migration, and that beer was super fun. 
I love. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it because it was. Schmetterling. There you go. I knew it was like more syllables than I would remember, yeah. <laughs> but I really dug. I mean, I loved everything about that beer. Yeah. Um, is there any discussion about bringing that one? We back. No, it hasn't it hasn't come up. Um, we've discussed possibly brewing with them in the future, but not that same style. I'm telling you, as soon as we get <laughs> the ability, like we know we can sell 50 barrels, it's going to be a Dunkelweiss. I'm get. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know you, Dana, have been talking about doing a Dunkelweiss since day one. Yeah. Uh, I, to the point where I'm kind of surprised you haven't yeah. well, been you able know, to every, do it yet. All the salespeople and distributors, are, they tell us that it's not something that is going to fly off the shelf. Well, yeah. let's talk about that. Let's really embrace that very idea. I mean, I think the casual consumer doesn't know. They don't understand. They don't accept how much of what is available on shelves is driven by that sort of one-two punch of a marketing team at a brewery and the distributing partners that they work with. Uh, you know, for the longest time, brewers were really uh, proud to say, well, we brew what we love. Mm, maybe, but doesn't mean what you love is what the public is buying. Mm -hmm. And that's fair. I think, you know, so how much and and not to say that like the IPA that Van Hend makes and, and IPAs, it's not just one IPA, obviously, it was one of your first two releases. But is it fair to say that you kind of realized in the 21st century, a brewery that doesn't make an IPA doesn't have solvency in their goal as as part of their their mission because craft consumers today want IPAs um and again yours is it, it's a pitch perfect IPA it's not replicating rpm it's not replicating fresh squeeze it's just its own thing like how do you guys describe the IPA that comes out of Van Hennion and how it fits in with the German style lager realm that you are really embracing and, and brewing towards. Mm -hmm. Do you have an opinion? Well, I mean, it comes back to like, you gotta have an IPA, right? But it's your beer, so okay, let Dana yeah. describe like, what it. Do you, so Stand yeah, that's, that's kind of my question is like, okay. what did you want? If you're gonna have an IPA, and again, you have a couple you have a double, you have all these great versions, but you were no one's going to say Van Hennion is the IPA brewery, yeah. even though you make them. What did you want so, out of your offering? Yeah, very similar to our business model of brewing beers we like to drink. I made an IPA that I would like to drink. So, like I said, I do like IPAs, but I like a very specific kind. Um, I like ones that are not too bitter. I don't. There's certain hops that I'm not a big fan of. I don't want to get any onion garlic. I don't want... You know, um, those those real, like, kind of catty, intense hops. So we steered clear of all those, um, kind of stuck with the citrus, kind of grapefruit thing. There's a little little dankiness in there, a little pine. Um, but also just, you know, a lighter body uh, drinkability was huge. And then I also like a big ABV because if you're going to have an IPA, you know, you might as well make it worth your worth your time. So uh, well, that's why we shot for the 7.2 on that. Um, and that beer was originally brewed as a home brew for my brother's wedding, and I wanted everyone to kind of get a little bit looser than they expected. So I tried to make it really drinkable 
and disguise that ABV with it. So um, got a lot of flake barley in it and uh, to kind of give it some body, uh, even though it doesn't have a lot of, it doesn't have any crystal malt or anything like that. So, you know, just try to make it drinkable and boozy. I mean, that's what makes it a very 21st century IPA is the, the lack of crystal malt or the, at least the, it not being the sort of old school prototypical PNW yeah. IPA. Um, that said, I found myself in Germany a whole bunch of times. I was living overseas, so I, I I happened upon this amazing craft beer and sausage festival in Berlin. This was in 2013, and that's where I discovered the really new age aromatic hops that are coming out of Hallertau, Polaris, Mandarina Bavaria. Have you guys talked about doing a German IPA? We haven't. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think that uh, there might be room for be such fun. a thing or yeah. not necessary because why would you when you are a lager-centric brewery? There's no right or wrong answer. I'm not trying to if force we, you guys into any direction. If we had a brew house, I think yeah. we would. You know, if we, if we had a smaller brew house. So, like I said, one of these days when we when we know we can sell beer quickly, we'll be... We'll be making fun stuff. What are your favorite German hops to to brew with for any of your different beers? Like what what are they showing up in? Uh, well, or or continental hops. Uh, let's include is, you know uh, Saas and Hirschbrucker. Um, Kolsch is Hallertau, Middelfrüh. Pilsner is uh, Spalt Select. All all from Germany, and. Uh, Schwartz is Hersbrucker as well, so uh, it's just there's some some varieties that I, I I've really come fond of and and like a lot and you know they're clean and they give the flavors we're looking for and you know so we just kind of vary through those um, you know like like most most German lagers aren't really super hop forward mm-hmm. so you're not getting like a super intense aroma or flavor and stuff but you're definitely getting aroma and flavor so you just gotta you know, you got to dance with it and make sure you're not overpowering or underpowering your beer with, with that based on the malt profile. What are the American and therefore presumably P&W hops that you guys are fond of using? Cascade, Centennial, Citra, Simcoe, like <laughs> just the <laughs> classics. Yeah. Yeah, we don't, uh, I think the Lotus, strangest, Lotus. yeah, I was going to say the strangest hops we have are Lotus and the, um, much despised Sabro. <laughs> Much despised. Some what? People, there's there's entire uh, meme pages dedicated to ripping on Sabro. <laughs> Screw those people. <laughs> I I only have. I mean, again, it's all so subjective, but I am a huge fan of uh, of the newest generation of you know American uh, and particularly Washington and you know some kind of Oregon grown hops. I love Sabro and I love yeah. Brew One, and those are respectively coconut forward Sabro, mm-hmm. pineapple forward Brew One. Mm-hmm. I can't understand why I have yet to see a Sabro Brew One IPA that tastes like a pina colada. Yeah. <laughs> it just so, seems like such a natural thing to me. Um, but at the same time, is it fair to say that, like, have you guys used any Southern Hemisphere hops? I'm kind of guessing no. Not as Van Hinion. Sure, yeah, exactly. Elsewhere, but yeah, Van Hinion hasn't 
as of yet. Yeah, we don't we don't play too much. We what's the uh, sonnet? No. Oh no yeah. Much. Well, that's what we're gonna use um, in the upcoming beer. Yeah. Uh, what do we got? German tradition and sonnet. Yeah, that's gonna be the Leisch beer hops selected by Tim and Randon. So one more time on those hop varietals. Uh, sonnet and uh, German tradition. So. I love it because I'm not familiar with either one of those. Actually, or... me neither. I, apparently, Sonnet's supposed to be, uh, I want to say lemon, and oh, he gave me quite a good description, but I'm spacing it right now. They're domestic, right? That Those are domestic. Yeah, so those are out of Yakima, and then the German tradition are out of Germany, and Tim. So grassy, more noble hop character, yeah, well, maybe? Spice, yeah, spice, saying. But when you talk about Sonnet being lemony, my mind goes to the Japanese sriracha ace. Mm-hmm. Is it in that realm? I don't know. We haven't used it yet, so yeah. we'll let you know. Yeah. I mean, obviously, a lot of American hops are yeah. very citrusy, yeah. but we tend yeah. to think of grapefruit pith and orange rind and yeah, things like that. Yeah, I think like it's going to be more like a nuanced, kind of delicate hop like that. It's not going to be like, it's, you know, considering it's going into a light lager. It's, yeah, it's I, be we're trusting aggressive. basically uh, Tim's guidance on this one. So. And just to, for clarification, this Leischbeer will be, when will it? Be arriving. A uh, couple, uh, first week of March, second week of March, something like that. All right. So in the near future, mm-hmm. draft and canned, mm-hmm. right on. What color? Because thinking about your branding, right? You have your your Schwartz beer, which I would have thought would be black because Schwartz means black, but it's in the purple label. Your Hellas, which means light or blonde, is in the black label. Yeah, no <laughs> we didn't think that one through. <laughs> no, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what, could, what what should people be looking for when they want to find that Leisch beer? Uh, I went for uh, Easter Hay. What's one of my favorite Zappa songs is Watermelon Easter Hay, so I like to describe it that way. But, yeah, like a like a pastel green. So, like, the Fest beer was a light blue with those unicorns on it. So this is going to be a, a, a similar green, like a light green with the unicorns on it and the kind of the Bavarian flag look. So it's just going to have that same vibe, and that will kind of be our one-off series. We'll always sort of have that can to look for. So the, you see unicorns, that means it's a one-off. <laughs> so, Excellent. Yeah. Do, do either of you speak German? No. All right. I was going to say, what's German for unicorn? Got fi- to find that out. But it, <laughs> you know they probably have like some 19-syllable word that oh, means yeah. like yeah, probably, probably sounds really metal. non-winged <laughs> horse with a horn and, yeah. you know. <laughs> somewhat angry. Yeah. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, Schmetterling means butterfly. Schmetterling means butterfly. Like, you, gotta say it, like, you gotta say it German, you know. Schmetterling. Right. Angry, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm sure that. I tried for a little while, but I didn't get very far in my German. Uh, so, thinking about the, you know, the, the brewery and the tap room, do you know if you guys have ever had like authentic German visitors, like Germans who are in Bend who have yes. come there? Um, a very lovely couple um, comes in all the time. They're very supportive of us, and uh, the compliments that we get—I don't want to name drop exact. I don't, you know, I don't want to. Oh, name drop! This very lovely lady, Marita. She uh, comes in with her husband, Mike, and um, she says that our beers remind her of beers back home. She says our decor reminds her of her like grandma's house back home, and that our Oktoberfest reminded her of being at an Oktoberfest. So everything that she is like our biggest fan, and it, her compliments mean the world to me. Is it, I mean, yeah. that must warm the cockles. I don't know what a cockle is, but it was, must warm the cockles of your heart. It does. Those are the biggest compliments. And yeah. there's we've had met other 
folks that are from Germany that have said similar things. And I swear, when I hear that, it's just like, blows my mind. And what were the goals for that ambiance, the decor? Because, you know, you opened up, I remember you had that phenomenal sort of, I don't know, forest green wallpaper. It's textural, it's colorful. And then, I don't think it was too long ago, you opened up the side room that has the same print, but it's a sort of this majestic royal red. Uh, I just feel like your on-site bar atmosphere is so unlike anywhere else. I don't know what a lager-centric tap room should look like, but I know that you guys have done a great job of making it welcoming and cozy and you know, I think of the the Dutch word chaselig, like just means cozy or comfortable. Uh, I would imagine the Germans have a similar word. Do you know what what the German version of chaselig is? No. Fair enough. <laughs> I feel, I mean, the state's room was all Dana's vision, so she could speak to it more. But I feel like it's got kind of the theme is like German beer stoop. You know, German. All right, perfect. So it's kind of like if you're in Germany and you go into like these small little beer stoops, it's similar, except for often the walls are yellow from all the tobacco. But well, this might be a, a good sort of uh, final discussion, but I think it's it's one worth having. I remember Dana two years ago, you you mentioned something that I thought was really interesting, which is Van Henien is created by three brewers and I think uh, a handful of years ago I think that when craft brewers were opening they kind of had this notion this idea that well it's the beer business we need to have all these different people in the company who are used to having these different hats the brewer side the marketing side the business side you guys admittedly don't have that Mm -hmm. you are three people you mark dana uh sorry you mark dana mark and and john um who come from the production side what are the pros and cons here we are just over two years in to van henian brewing what are the the good and the bad of being solely brewer focused and not marketing focus and you know kind of take it from there that, that that's a prompt sure um we we hired a salesperson because oh. we figured out <laughs> we needed one so that we have um kind of that part covered now and it's it's been a big deal like it's made a big difference so that was a good lesson <laughs> we you can't we can't just uh know how to you know sell beer like Especially with self-distribution, so we're self-distributing Central Oregon, and it was just hard to hit all the accounts and make the rounds and make the beer and handle all the business side of things. So, I think, I think a lot of it for us was just we just wanted to make quality beer that we liked to drink and hoped other people would, and and uh, we just kind of went from there. I guess the downfalls are like not having the business background or somebody on the team that's business oriented is lawyer fees and 
bookkeeping fees and yeah and all this other stuff that like it's just like it's, we could do it but we just don't have the time with all the other stuff we're trying to do i mean we couldn't do the lawyer part of it but i mean i think back <laughs> 40 years ago i don't think ken grossman when he was starting sierra nevada thought oh this is going to become a big national yeah. multinational brewing concern and he needed all those different departments he just thought how do I make really good beer? Yeah. And, you know, the bottom line, as I see it, is you do need to start with that. So that kind of gives you guys a leg up. I know that there are, in fact, successful breweries that really are marketing driven. Uh, I think that we're in a very interesting, that could be a euphemism for bad, <laughs> but an interesting part in the, the, the industry, you know, the, the set, this timeline does it pertain, you know, this sort of post-pandemic, post, I don't want to say post-craft, that seems pretentious, but this sort of era where, all right, the microbreweries laid the groundwork. They've been going at it for decades. What does today's consumer want? And I personally, I'm not afraid to say this, I love that you guys are like, uh, we are a brewery. You're not trying to make hard seltzers and you're not trying to make hard kombucha or na kombucha or na beer oh is there an na van hinden beer in the works no. good right on <laughs> sorry i was like ooh before i tee that up maybe Actually, i should bring a <laughs> <laughs> and, and those things are fine i mean obviously there are so many consumers today and you you don't want to you know ignore and negate what those people are looking after and i'm not to say I am a one, you know, direction. Uh, I don't have this sort of monoculture as far as what I drink. But if you're going to be a brewery, be a brewery. Yeah, well, that's the only thing we know how to do is yeah. make beer. So we're learning a bunch of other new things. But, um, yeah, I think that if our beer wasn't good, this whole thing would already be flopped by now. <laughs> so. Not to say beer schnapps couldn't be a thing. No one else is doing in Bend and Beb. By virtue of being Germanic, I feel like you guys, if you ever partner with a distillery, hmm. I would want to see the Van Hennian schnapps. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what else is, you know, here we are, uh, beginning of 2024. Um, what what are, uh, other than Leishbeer, which I am personally very super excited to have that come out, uh, what else is new in the works f for you guys? Collaborations, Flash. new brands, new. We're, we are going to make an American light lager with our pals over at um, Arable in Eugene. Mm. Um, that's been in the works for a long time. It already has a name. It's going to be called Backyard Boogie. So uh, looking forward to that. They're good friends right of ours. So, um, Arable, not huge on the Oregon oh, they're scene. They're, they're newer than now. us. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, can't wait to go down there. That'll probably be a spring thing because, you know, that style of beer is going to be, you know, better for the summer. Um, so that's that's in the works, and I, I think that might be the only collab we have planned besides the one this Monday. Yeah, I think that's that's it as of now. You know, there's anything something, anything something will happen. Something yeah. will come up. I'm sure we we've been talking with some other breweries. Um, what are some of the obviously your anniversary mm -hmm. party? But what are some of the events uh, that you guys have have started that obviously you know I think you don't need an excuse. You don't need an event. You don't need a festival to go to Van Hennen. You have a great very warm, receptive drinking space 
indoor for winter, outdoor as well for for warmer seasons. Um, good food truck there. Um, but like, and again, not not that I ever shy away from uh, self promotion. Uh, I put on Flannel Fest that will be February third at Midtown Yacht Club. We're gonna have Van Henian's Schwartz beer. We're gonna have uh, the super rad Van Henian flannel that this is podcast, so you guys can't see it, but Dana is sporting it. It's sort of a a sage, dark sage, green and black. What do we what do we call that color? Yeah, it's like a dark. Yeah, it's kind of an olive. Dark I just olive. think that's a really one of the you know like it's not the oxbow flannel, which is red and black, but it's sort of high desert sage yeah. uh, in black. I, I think that's one of the more attractive flannels uh, available in town. Um, and not to get too sentimental, but obviously I cannot forget the vision of you guys walking in last year. And Mark, you're carrying this, just this, was it like a glad bag? I don't know. It was, you had these bags of of clothes that were very yeah, it was like a sixty gallon meaningful bag sixty gallon bag, it was right? Clear and it was all my good friend uh, Matt with X's. Let's you know and, yeah, he, he he might be gone, but certainly not he, forgotten. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, so and that's you know awesome. I think that's it was awesome to be able to do that. I mean, again, like the soon as you walked in, I was like. Oh my, like you could have done anything with that. Um and I think that's really telling about your guys' connection to our our scene, not just the beer scene, but the community at large. You know, which, of which I kind of always say Ben doesn't have a craft beer scene. Craft beer is just part of our culture, mm-hmm. right? It's not like two different groups of people. We all seem to have this overlapping affinity for what quality of life means to us, which is why we're here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so in that regard, maybe this is a, a good finishing place. How does how does your beer fit into what Bend is really all about? And and how have we not had a Van Hennen before that? <laughs> That's definitely a Mark question because he's been living here forever. I don't really know how to answer that. Um... How does our beer fit in? Um, I think we tried to, you know, have a, a different style from, you know, kind of like we are trying to be lager focused. Um, we just tried to carve out a different niche that that would be unique and, and, you know, draw attention to, in order to you know, get on the, you know, get on the map, basically, essentially. So, not really sure what the right answer is there but i don't know if there's a right answer <laughs> but the but answer, the answer is. yeah exactly yeah yeah i would just say that i kind of used to joke that there's two types of bend people there's like the sporty bend people and then there's like the beer people and i know that there's a big overlap i know a lot of people like to like mountain bike and then drink that's what mark used to do he used to mountain bike and then have beers but i feel like mark and his his old school crew here you know they're kind of the founders of the brewing scene here and so i feel like that the way that van hanyan fits in you know i'm excluded from this but just that he's part of that culture like of just these beer guys so he's finally contributing his own 
you know, same with Tony. He started Boneyard. It's like the, I don't know, it's like part of who what Bend is in a way, all you guys. Well, I'll start this so you don't think that this is any kind of trick question. Winter, I am a skier. I'm not a boarder. And one of my very favorite Apres Ski beers is a Schwarzbier. I am a burgeoning mountain biker. I don't have an e-bike. I still remember when people used to have to get up and down that hill using their own pedal power. And again, Schwarzbier. I just think it's such a rich, flavorful, yet Easy drinking, refreshing beer. So, Mark, what's your favorite? What are some of your favorite, you know, bend activities? It doesn't have to be something on the mountain. It doesn't have to be something on a single track. And what's the beer that pairs with it? Um, I mean, looking back, like right now, it's pretty much all brewery focused. But, uh, you know... In the past, I used to What's your bike, favorite shift I beer? Mountain bike a ton. <laughs> um, I would look for like a Hellas or a Pilsner after some mountain biking. Like I think on the mountain, yeah, Schwartz beer would go pretty well. Maybe an IPA up there to get a little, little warmth in the in the system, you know. But um, um, you know, if you're going out hiking or camping or whatever, just I tend to tend to first tell the the lighter beers, the the Hellas, the Pilsner. Um, Kolsch. I don't know. I, I kind of just go through the, the whole gamut, <laughs> depending on the of course, right. time of day and the mood you're in, you know, it kind of... If we only needed one beer for everything, we would only have one beer. Yeah, exactly. Dana, do you have a a favorite hobby, a physical pastime around town and, and a beer that pairs with it or post doing it? Um, I mean, I like getting out. I like to go paddle boarding with a buddy of mine, but we don't make it very far. We usually just go paddle <laughs> to somewhere where we can like stop and then, you know, have, have some beers while we're sitting on the water. It's like, it's, I love doing that. <laughs> but seems you know, perfect. Try the Hellas. I'm just going to, that's probably one of my favorites. Hellas and paddle boarding. Yeah. I love it. Thank you guys so much for coming into the studio, telling a bit about uh, your story and what we have to look forward to from your brewery. Yeah. Prost. Yeah, pros, pros, thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, Appreciate fun. it. Bear, 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 bear. Thank you for listening to the Grand Craft Beer Podcast with yet another voice from Central Oregon's homegrown beer community. We hope you'll share this episode and subscribe so you never miss a beer-soaked conversation. For questions, comments, or suggestions, contact host Brian Yeager via Facebook, Instagram, or X, all with the handle at Grand Craft Beer. All one word. Cheers.